Hi everyone and welcome to For Fact's Sake, the ferret's podcast about misinformation and fact checking. I am your host, as always, Ali Bryan, and alongside me, my co-host, the Socrates of Sound, Paul Dobson. How are you, Paul? I'm good, Ali. Yeah, it is just a roll call of Greek philosophers at this stage it, with those yeah, puns. It it's just a lot of letters in those names, isn't there, that are use, useful for that. Yeah, I'll be honest, that's like my go-to at the moment. Um, okay. I was, uh, what, what, what was the one that I used that was really, really unpopular a few weeks ago? Um, well, he wasn't a Greek philosopher, it was Machiavelli. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, no, no, I was thinking of the, the Brian Cox of Big Chat. <laughs> yeah, well, that was rubbish. Uh, Greek philosophers yeah. are preferable to that, yeah. yeah. But maybe we Any can try and rejuvenate it a wee bit in the new year. That can be yeah. a new well, year's I'll resolution Yeah, I'll think you. of some other people you've been... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Well, we'll see, we'll see. So, on this week's podcast, we have a excellent bunch of things to talk about, don't we? We've got a interview. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that interview, Paul? Yeah, we're speaking to Dr. Zoe Venditozzi from the Witches of Scotland podcast about mm-hmm. Scotland's witch trials and some of the parallels with misinformation that spread back then and how it spread today. Uh, we're also discussing your fact check on Keir Starmer's claim about migration numbers in the UK. And in Paul's Curiosity Corner, we're looking at the idea of the heavy metal detox bath and whether there's any validity to that. You've summed it up perfectly, as always. In a way, a very there. much like Socrates. Yeah, yeah well, that's true. Maybe it was apt. Exactly. Okay, well, let's start off with the interview with Zoe. My name's Zoe Ventotzi. I'm, I'm a writer and a teacher, and I'm here today because I'm also a co-campaigner and a podcaster um, on the Witches of Scotland campaign. We're going to start off with the kind of basic question, um, just to set the scene on this issue. Um, could you tell us like, when the persecution of women accused of witchcraft began in Scotland, and then talk us through some of the causes of it? Okay, so basically there was a law passed in 1563 that made it um, illegal and punishable by death to be a witch. <clears throat> it didn't. It doesn't specify men or women in the act. It didn't specify. Um, however, there there was a prevailing idea, which I know we're going to find really hard to believe today, that women were in some way inferior to men, um, and so it was women that tended to get accused of being in league with the devil, and um, because the idea was that women weren't as morally strong or as intellectually strong as men were. And therefore, the devil could work his wily magic and essentially get into the witch's knickers and then turn her turn her head, so to speak, and make her do evil things. Yeah. So as you say, it sounds like um, it was a reflection of how misogynistic society was at that time. So can you sort of give us a bit of an outline of the prevailing attitude towards women, um, not just witches, but women in general at that time? Yeah. I would I would say what we know is that definitely men were superior. So men were seen well seen as superior, not actually superior. Men were obviously the the owners of, of most of the land. Um, it was men that ran the courts. It was men that ran the church. Um, it was men that would make decisions within towns and villages. So at that point, uh, court cases were basically heard within towns and villages. We didn't have obviously the same kind of legal system as we have today. But make no mistake, we did have a really good and robust legal system. So the um, people that were accused of being witches, it wasn't in any way a kind of a 
for the vast, vast, vast majority of cases, it was the occasional one that, that wasn't organized. But the vast majority of cases, these were legally organized, um, ordained, signed off on situations where it went through a court process, um, ending in an execution, an order of execution, and then the execution. The king, so that's King James I, was really, really into the idea of witches. Um, he had this very strong idea that as he had been ordained by the by God, he was God's guy on earth, that of course the devil would be out to get him, okay? And he really strongly felt that the devil was using witches um, to attack him, basically. So when his child bride, his 14-year-old bride, was being brought across from um, Denmark, she was prevented from traveling because of bad weather. And instead of him saying, well, it's this part of the world, you know, it is just bad weather. He was like, no, it is witches. And he thought a whole bunch of witches had got together off the coast of Scotland and were preventing the young girl from coming across, presumably then preventing him having an heir, essentially. He was kind of driving that and literally wrote the book called Demonology, which tells you kind of how to how to find a witch, how to identify her, how to try her, how to kill her. Um, and that's the book on which a lot of a lot of stuff and a lot of the drives when there was real pushes, like peaks in the witchcraft um, accusations that drove a lot of that for a good a good number of years. So people didn't really need to be convinced that there were women going around being witches. You know, they were quite open to the idea. And yeah. we have got this sort of misinformed notion these days that there was a lot of people who are what we think of now as pagans that were just doing their thing and that they were accused of being witches to shut down paganism. But that's that's nonsense. That's a modern invention from around about okay. the 1930s. Yeah, people were Christian. They absolutely viewed themselves as being Christian um, and would, you know, absolutely horrified to be accused of being in league with the devil. This is a misinformation and sort of fact-checking podcast. So there's huge parallels that we see to the work we do in the modern day and to how not only this started but how it spreads could you expand on that a little bit and how like misinformation can be used to kind of cause and exacerbate these moral panics the the biggest form of communication that they had then was obviously the bible and what was what was being said in the bible and what what the interpretation of was was of that by the men that ran the churches so there is mm. there is a line in the bible that is thou shalt not suffer a witch to live Okay, so it's it's in it's in the Bible, you know, in that way that many people go, well, it's in the Bible. Yeah. Um, so so it is in the Bible, and people took that literally and thought, you know, we need to kill them then. So that's why execution was the was the end point. It wasn't once you'd been found guilty, and I'm doing speech marks around that of being a witch. You were it was death, like you know, like there. If you were found guilty, it, you died. There there wasn't died's too passive. You were strangled. And then your remains were burned. And that was an idea that was right across Scotland, stronger in some areas than others. You know, like the closer they were to kind of the central belt, um, up Fife, various other, there were some pockets where there were particularly strong people. Less of an issue, um, Highlands and Islands, because they had a slightly different interpretation of things there. But definitely, right. you know, it was something where, as we have now, where groups of people cluster together and share their opinions and their beliefs and their ideas then, you know, the, there can be a social contagion, which I would argue happened at that point. A lot of people would say happened at that point. So the Bible was everywhere and the way that it was interpreted was was passed around. And people did travel around a bit, you know. So when there was an accusation made uh, of somebody in a, in a village or a town, 
somebody or some people rode down to the Privy Court in Edinburgh to ask permission to to basically investigate and to bring a court case about. So naturally there was then communication between different parts of Scotland. And one of the things that's quite is quite interesting was there was a kind of a pre-tabloid called the News from Scotland, which outlined um one woman in particular, her confessions, along with some other people as well. And the confessions were quite lurid. What I find quite interesting as a writer is that that story then was replicated across Scotland and the confessions, again, in speech marks, yep. um, which were, by the way, obtained under um, initially physical torture, including things like crushing people's fingers, um, tying their heads with ropes and then then pulling the ropes to, to squeeze the heads. Um, you know, be, other things like the branks, which they put on the faces and they held the tongues down, things like that. Then there was a, a point in time where the Scottish legal people said, no, we shouldn't um, we shouldn't torture people. That's not civilised. So they stopped physically torturing people, but they still kept them for really long periods of time where they basically sleep deprived them. Now, as we all know, sleep deprivation is, is now and has been for quite a long time mm-hmm. seen as a form of torture. And yeah. you, you'll say anything at a certain point. It's been proven in, in various studies. So these women, and it was about 85% of those accused were women, and the men too, who were taken in and were questioned, what they would do was they would break them down essentially by stripping them. And remember, these were like super moral, like, you know, you wouldn't show your body to anybody times, shave their heads, then examine their bodies to look for the witch's mark, right? Because that was one of the proofs that you were a witch. Because the idea was that when you'd meet with the with the devil, the devil would put a mark upon your body. And actually, King James wrote this in his book, Demonology. And that mark would either remain completely, um, completely like devoid, like numb of feeling, or mm-hmm. would remain extremely painful. So you would always remember where the devil had touched you, right? And the idea was that he put his hand on your head and his hand on your feet. And the you know, everything between these two points now belongs to me and would do a reverse baptism. He'd also apparently give people new names. So they would, they'd be given a new name, you know, again, like a subversion of baptism. And then the idea was that he, once he had the mark and then he kind of released them out in society and they would do terrible things, whatever those things were. Right. So when they were brought into custody, they were searched for the mark of the devil. And that was one of the proofs. And then they would be tortured and or kept awake until they confessed. Again, speech marks around that because they, the people would say absolutely anything to get out of it. And there was a stunning yeah. amount of repetition of the confession. Some of them sounded incredibly similar, as if one could argue they were being fed the confession right, by yeah. those people that were literate that were writing the confession down at the time. So to me, that's a big, a big form of misinformation, which sort of cascaded across the country and repeated again and again and shored up this idea again and again that they were doing the same thing with the devil. I mean, like, you know, logic to me says... If you've sold your soul to the devil for infinite power, why are you being able to be mm-hmm. taken into custody in the first place? Surely fly yeah. away or disappear or materialize somewhere else. So, I mean, it's absolute nonsense. It's totally flawed. But everybody bought into it, essentially. And even if you didn't believe in it, you would still live, I think, in a great deal of fear. Because if it started happening around you, you know, there could be anything that you could do because they were just ordinary people. So as I said before, they weren't like pagans. They were mm. what we think of now as pagans. They were just, you know, normal, normal people who might have annoyed somebody or they might have been a bit of a pain in the neck or they might have been a drinker or they might have had a learning disability or they may have owed somebody money or they might have been owed money. You know, like it could be anything. 
it's like personal grievances could be used as a reason. Oh, absolutely. What would make you a susp- under suspicion of being a, of being a witch? Like why would some people be targeted rather than others? So there was a mix of kind of like a religious view on that, where somebody wasn't godly enough. Okay, so yeah. they might be breaking breaking the social rules, the religious rules in some way, like maybe not going to church enough, or mm-hmm. maybe people suspect them of having an affair, or maybe they just didn't really seem to be giving it their all with the with the religious conventions, or like you're saying, it could be community grudges where somebody's you know somebody's fallen out with somebody in the market and then as as they've walked away swearing and the person said oh my god my cow yeah. then became lame and it's because right, yeah. margaret walked away cursing me to the devil or you know something along those lines it was occasionally because and it was it was this was a small amount and again this is misinformation it was occasionally because something would gone wrong would go wrong with healing or in midwifery terms but that mm-hmm. was that wasn't a, a, a huge amount, and we know that that is the case that that, that wasn't accurate because uh, Professor Nicola Ring, who works with the um, the College of Midwifery and Nursing in Edinburgh, has recently done some research into those that were accused of being witches that were also seen as being midwives okay. or healers, or what we think of now as kind of nurses, and yeah. it was a really small percentage. I think one of the interesting parallels, and we talk a lot on this podcast about how misinformation crosses borders, um, and obviously there was always superstition in Scotland, but I think the the actual context of the witch trials was made possible in many ways by sort of the proliferation of the printing press and the availability of like books and documents to more sort of lay people. So can you explain a bit more about the role yeah. of new technologies and the spread of ideas about witchcraft? And is there a parallel between that and, you know, the growth of mis- misinformation since the dawn of social media in recent years? I would say so. So we we as humans, yeah. we love story, don't we? We love to be mm-hmm. able to put a narrative on things that happen. So we know that, you know, like bringing right up to the pretty modern day, when COVID was happening, we know there was an increase in accusations yeah. of witchcraft in various African countries, for example. We know that because we work with a guy called uh, Dr. Leo Igwe, who's really interesting. If you don't know him already, you should look into him because he is a skeptic, basically, who works in various countries in Africa. I think he's based in Nigeria at the moment, but Nigeria, Malawi um, in particular, I think is, is where he's doing quite a lot of work. And he's, he's trying to encourage people and encourage schools and encourage communities to be a critical thinker and not just mm-hmm. to take the word of what people say to you, not just to say, well, the religious story is the true story, because there has been an increase because when COVID was happening, obviously people were dying. We look for reasons why people were dying, just in the same yeah. way as we looked for reasons why crops failed or cows stopped giving milk or, you know, a child died when they seemed to be healthy or a baby died in, you know, in labor or whatever. We look for stories. And so we know that happened in, in various places during COVID. So you can see that right up to the modern day, in a, in a time of smartphones and an abundance of information, these these sort of really strong human tendencies exist and can be amplified when people are stressed so ali this week on our site you have been looking at a claim by the labor leader keir starmer about migration to the uk specifically that migration uh, is at its highest levels on record obviously we've discussed uh, migration at length on this podcast in the past so can you just outline what Keir Starmer said and then we'll sort of 
have a look at the validity of that claim. Yeah, so uh, as you say, um, migration is a topic that is at the absolute centre of politics at the moment. And last week, uh, Prime Minister's Questions, Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak had a kind of testy exchange over the government's record on migration. Starmer criticised the UK government's attempts to reduce migration, and his actual exact quote was, migration is at a record high. So was he right in saying that? I think we can say yes, pretty much. Um, Statistics on migration are published uh, by the Office for National Statistics, and they're measured in a a number of different ways. The two most common ways you hear talked about are total migration to the UK and net migrations. So net migration being the difference between those who come to the UK and those who leave. Um, The latest long-term data from the ONS covers the year up to the end of June 2023. They measure as how many people came to the UK over the previous year up to a certain date. They measure that four times a year. So you'll basically get quarterly data on how many people have come to the UK in that in a previous year. I know it's confusing, but bear with me. So the latest data covers the year ending June 2023. There were 1.18 million people who came to the UK. And this is the highest level for June since records began. So on that measure, migration is at its highest level. However, if you compare other parts of the year, so for example, the year to December 2022, the UK hit a peak of migration in that year of 1.234 million. So you'll see basically that if you're comparing year to year statistics, then migration is at its highest, but it does appear to have peaked and is looking like it's going to start coming down. But we'll only know that when we compare future yearly period. Yeah, like 2023's figures to 2022 figures. Exactly, yeah. And then if you look at net migration, the last two years have been the highest level of record. So what's affecting the trends in migration to the UK? Well, according to the ONS, broadly speaking, it's people coming to the UK from outside of the European Union. So obviously we know that the way that the UK's immigration system uh, has structured changed significantly in recent years because of uh, the UK's exit from the European Union. It seems like it's mostly non-EU nationals coming to the UK. A lot of those people come to the UK for humanitarian reasons, so fleeing conflicts around the world or to study. And also there was an increase in skilled workers as a result of the UK's new sort of post-Brexit immigration system. And also because there was a higher demand for workers, particularly in health and care sectors. But also, if you look at the reasons why 2022 was a really, really big year and the biggest year on record for migration to the UK, that is because of specific policy that's put in place by the UK government to increase overseas students. And then also the humanitarian visa routes for refugees, primarily from Ukraine, yeah, um, but also slightly from uh, for British overseas nationals, Hong Kong. But it was, yeah, primarily led by the conflict in Ukraine. The sort of most high-profile route by which people arrive in the UK um, in, in an irregular manner, which I think is the term, is yeah. the, uh, small boat crossings. And obviously the Tories have made that a big part of their um, agenda and their appeal to voters at the next election, presumably. Yeah. So how many small boat crossings were there in that period? Is that at its highest level as well, or has that changed? In 2022, which is the highest year on record, 44,000 people crossed in small boat to the UK. I mean, it's it's worth noting that that is relatively small compared to the amount of people who come across total, but there's been a huge increase in that. So if you compare 2022 to 2018, just 300 people came across in that manner in 2018. It seems like statistics are slightly reducing. We've not reached the end of 2023 yet, obviously, but if you look at the equivalent figures up to the end of the third quarter of 2023, there's more than 8,000 less people crossing in that manner since last year. Since you put this fact check out uh, on Monday morning, I think the government has made a big uh, pledge on 
migration. So have, can you yeah. explain what that is? claim that they're making is that there'll be a reduction of 300,000 people coming to the UK, um, the, the equivalent of. So the 300,000 people who were eligible to come to the UK last year would not be able to do so in future. The changes are basically around increasing the minimum salary needed for skilled overseas workers coming to the UK and increasing the minimum income for family visas, and then also banning care workers from bringing family dependents to the UK when they come over. Okay, listeners, so welcome to Paul's Curiosity Corner, the part of this podcast where we explore some of the more bizarre pieces of disinformation that are doing the rounds. This week, we are looking at some fake news that has been circulating on Instagram and TikTok about the so-called heavy metal detox bath, which apparently helps children with behavioral issues, ADHD and autism. Ali, can you explain what a heavy metal detox bath is, first of all? Because I have no idea. So it's a bit of sort of DIY healthcare misinformation that's been doing the rounds uh, online in recent months. It's actually a fairly old idea. It's been online for probably about a decade. Um, And basically the idea is that you can detox yourself and others by giving them a bath using various substances, depending on the video. There's things like Epsom salts, bicarbonate soda, bentonite clay, and then various other combinations of products you can buy. The kind of aim of it is to counteract the impact of toxins caused by overexposures to heavy metals. So heavy metals, things like zinc, copper, iron, um, arsenic, mercury, various things you'll have heard of. Um, these are th- a, lot of th- a lot of these are, are, can be useful in, in small amounts in the body and it's necessary. Yeah. Um, but if you're exposed to too high a quantity, it can be unhealthy. Um, so a lot of these videos make links between these uh, heavy metal exposure and things like autism and other conditions like ADHD. Um, there's no evidence that links these conditions to, to a heavy metal detox or that it can do anything to have any impact on those things. And also doctors to say you shouldn't self-diagnose heavy metal poisoning in general. Yeah, because as you said, some of those heavy metals that you mentioned are things that we actually take supplements for their kind of standard holland yeah. and barrett fare um mm. so is there like a considerable risk of metal toxicity and if so what can that do yeah so heavy metal poisoning is, is obviously possible and right. there's a lot of exposure that you get to heavy metals uh through various environmental industrial factors um there's also heavy metals in foods and just around us in everyday life there's heavy metals in the you know in the ground we walk upon and the air we breathe all these sort of things um heavy metals as it say they're basically what they say on the tin they're metals have a high density um one reason that the people get more exposure towards them is because they're a lot of them are mined commercially yeah but yeah if you've got heavy metal poisoning then usually there'll be pretty acute symptoms Mm -hmm. like headaches abdominal pain cramping nausea vomiting diarrhea fatigue the whole combination of bad symptoms acute heavy metal poisoning is fairly rare certainly not gonna be helped by a DIY detox. Do you think you might have symptoms of um, heavy metal poisoning? The best thing to do is go to your doctor. Yeah. Um, and then they can give you specific medication and diet recommendations, which can reduce heavy metals in your body, but you're not going to do it through a DIY detox bath. How does this fit in with other trends about, you know, so-called detoxing, which is a phrase that has a specific meaning for medical professionals. And it's often used to refer to programs to get people off drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So 
Why is that phrase taking on a life of its own in some online spheres? And is there other forms of detoxing that you know of? Yeah, you're right to mention detoxing. It's an absolutely massive word and used all the time in online health trends and is used in health misinfo online a lot. As you say, it's quite a specific medical procedure or you know serious procedures, which is to rid the body of dangerous levels of alcohol or drugs or poisons um, and should really be done under the watchful eye of medical professionals in a hospital yeah. or a clinic or whatever. When it's used online, it's used in an altogether more vague way. And that is that essentially because it's detoxing, it's to remove the removal of toxins. And like, if you look at toxins and you like look at misinformation online, health misinformation online, the amount of things that are claimed to be toxins and the amount of things that toxins are alleged to cause is just, you know, incredible. So, you know, it, all manner of conditions, including depression, tiredness, joint pain, skin imperfections, all that sort of, even, you know, cancers and all these sort of things. Um, and yeah, the kind of, the, the things that people sell you to detoxify, quote unquote, detoxify yourself, be very skeptical of those things. Um, because yeah, if you, if, if people are using detox in a way that's not in terms of the getting rid of poison from the body directly in a medical sense, then it's likely that the detoxing you're doing is actually quite often it'll just be like, you know, increasing your vitamins or they talk about detoxing, doing juice cleanses and all this sort of thing. There's all these health sort of trends that go around and very few of them use the word detox in the correct sense. That's all we've got time for for this week's episode. Thanks so much to Zoe for coming on, talking to us a bit about the um, parallels between the witch trials and some of the misinformation that's going on today. So, Paul, if you want to get in touch about this podcast or anything else, what should they do? Yeah, so obviously they can get in contact with us through social media. So the normal channels, we're at Ferret Scott on Twitter slash X. We're just a Ferret on Facebook, Ferret on LinkedIn. We've also got a Mastodon page if you use that particular service. And of course, we also have our community forum, which is community.theferret.scot, which has lots of ways you can interact with our journalists. Excellent. And yeah, remember, if you like this podcast, you give it five stars on your preferred platform. We should also say thanks to the listeners, our Spotify wrapped. Exciting time of year. Yeah, yeah. And showing like, yeah, we were really, really pleased with like the numbers and the increases of like how many more people have been listening to the podcast and enjoying it. And we were even in some people's top five and top podcasts as well, which is amazing. Um, and, you know, it's just good that there's a podcast that isn't one of the rest is history or something. Mm, like Gary Lineker Empire. Yeah, exactly. We're we're taking on the evil empire of Gary Lineker and the Rest is History podcast. At some point, we'll be the Rest is for fact's sake. We have to accept that when we get subsumed. Yeah, yeah. But... Oh, yeah, we'll be selling out for sure when the money comes in. <laughs> but until then, we are, you know, putting, putting ourselves up against them. But uh, yeah, we will see you uh, with more podcasts in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.